0: This is Scott Becker with the Becker Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to get to visit with Jim Medendorp. Jim's the Chief Strategy Officer at the St. Francis Health System in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's one of the great health systems in the area and, and just a great health system. Jim, take a moment and talk to us about both yourself and the St. Francis Health System. Then I want to talk about Chief Strategy Officer, how you think about strategy, and, and, and a lot more. Jim? Yeah.
1: Absolutely, nice. Nice talking with you, Scott. Um, so St. Francis is a is a, a five hospital system in eastern Oklahoma. We have uh, we're anchored by a 1,100 bed tertiary care center here in Tulsa, that includes the uh, region's only children's hospital and level four neonatal intensive care unit. Uh, we also have on this campus a 168 bed heart hospital. Uh, in addition to that, we have Laureate Behavioral Health Hospital, which is uh, adjacent to the Yale campus. Uh, and we have the Muskogee uh, Community Hospital, which we acquired back in 2017. Uh, and then we have a hospital up in Veneta, which is uh, a critical access facility. It's about an hour and a half north of us. In addition to the hospital facilities, we have, gosh, Probably a, a, about a hundred ambulatory centers, physician office locations around the market. We're in the process of building up our ambulatory um, service plan, uh, and and you know we just in fact last week uh, christened a new uh, ambulatory facility in Owasso. So really, from a from a health system perspective, we're we're very much in a growth mode, and we're very much looking at our opportunities across this market and other markets that we historically haven't looked at.
0: Thank you. And, and you've got sort of this fascinating sort of career trajectory from sort of a master's in architecture to healthcare, Kaufman Hall, one of the great, you know, Ken Kaufman, one of the great consulting firms in healthcare and finance firms, to now serving as chief strategy officer at a great health system. Talk about that ca- career transformation and how you moved from place to place. Can you yeah. give us a little background on that?
1: Absolutely. Uh, So as as you mentioned, I started off my career in architecture, uh, undergrad and graduate degrees from University of Michigan. Uh, In architecture, I also did a number of business school classes, uh, but didn't finish my MBA, which which I do regret at this point. Uh, But started off my career actually doing corporate real estate for Xerox. Uh, Real estate development, facility management, design management, those things. It was interesting. Uh, they laid off about 10% of their workforce. Being one of the young folks, I was one of them. I uh, went back to Ann Arbor and ended up working for a, a, a strategy firm, an operations firm called Kai Systems, uh, headed up by Carl Barch. And they hired me at a time when healthcare was really getting into MOB development and a bigger focus on the non traditional assets of health systems. So, MOBs, ambulatory centers, or, uh, urgent care centers, and the like. Uh, So I came in to do real estate development and and help them kind of from that perspective. And in turn, um, Cynthia Hayward and Joyce Durham basically taught me healthcare uh, from a facility perspective. And the more that I spent time working on facilities, the more it became apparent to me that the strategy really is what's needed to have a good facility. So I uh, left Kai Systems went to another small strategy firm called Tribrook Healthcare Consultants in Chicago, uh, working for Jim Hosking and Doug Doug Rich and Don uh, Don Davis. And they really kind of brought me to that next level where not only was I doing facility work, but I was also doing market assessments. I was doing uh, work around really service distribution planning kind of before it was in vogue. Uh, And then got into the operations side. Uh, We we brought out a bunch of folks when Anderson kind of uh, fell apart who are operations folks. And we started to build this model where it was holistic, looking from the strategy through the operations down to how does that then impact the type of space that you have. Um, I left uh, Tribrook and went to a turnaround firm, Wellspring Partners, where I ran a hard asset valuation practice, did their facility planning work, and really got in, uh, you know, deep into the turnaround approach to looking at organizations from a cost perspective. Um, And spent probably about two years with them doing turnaround work, you know, helping with some hospitals that were insolvent. Um, and then I got a call from uh, Mark Gruby at, at Kaufman Hall. And he said, hey, you know, well, there's a lot going on. This was in 2006, I think, uh, around facility development in hospitals. And hospitals don't know what they're spending their money on. And they don't know if what they're actually buying makes sense from a facility and a strategy perspective. So I spent the next 13 plus years with Kaufman Hall Really, um, you know, we started the whole service distribution product as health systems started to say, "Well, gosh, I've got all these hospitals; they don't really work well together, and we don't really have a plan for how they should all work together." So we spent a um, you know we spent a number of years kind of developing those products, and you know, taking what I learned from turnaround, where it was things have to make money or at least break even for an organization to really kind of support them from the long-term perspective. Um, And I kind of applied that against a lot of what our clients were working towards Um, and had a great career. And I I really enjoyed working with Mark Ruby and and Jason Sussman, Ken Kaufman, Terry Wareham, uh, Walter Morrissey, all the folks who who were at Kaufman Hall. Uh, I learned a lot from them. And then, you know, as as I got older in my career, I said, you know what, I I, kind of had that desire to go back to being in-house. You know, when you're doing turnaround, you're dealing with stuff on a very rapid pace because you don't have time to, you know, facilitate change in an easy way. Um, So I, I, I really wanted to get back inside of an organization and help facilitate change and planning from within. And that's where, uh, in talking with Cliff uh, and what, what his goal was for St. Francis, it really aligned with where my uh, interests were. So I came on about a year ago here with St. Francis.
0: Congratulations. I'm going to ask you a few questions, and I'm going to ask you for 30-second answers. Okay. Some of these may be too complex, and if they're too um, difficult, you don't have to answer them, but I hope you'll indulge me, so bear with me. So so the first one, and this may be the toughest question, is Michigan beating Ohio State two years in a row a fluke or something that will continue?
1: Uh, For me, it's got to be something that continues. If you ask Cliff, Cliff went to Ohio State, he he might disagree with you, but... uh...
0: It'll be a different perspective. Okay, question number two, and this is a strategy question. Old Orchard is a mall a, a shopping mall right oh. near where kaufman hall is located in skokie
1: yes
0: it's one of the few large malls that has remained yes. successful it happens to be an outdoor mall in you know in a cold climate yep. how has that happened what's the strategy that's led that to continue to be a successful mall when the other mall near us, Northbrook court some other ones have really fallen on hard times and, and just outdoor shopping malls malls generally have moved in the wrong direction. Any thoughts on strategy? I mean, sort of a real estate and retail strategy question.
1: Yeah. So Oak Brook is unique in that it's been able to keep some major anchor uh, tenants that are a big draw. But in addition, they've kind of supported that with a lot of restaurants, a lot of other sort of secondary, non-traditional retail um, services. So people come there to go eat and then they walk into Macy's or they walk into, you know, one of the other stores there. It's also from a location perspective, very easy to get to right off of 94. It's, it's uh, you know, well-positioned from a population perspective. So I just think it has a lot of things going for it that allowed, allowed it to be successful.
0: Thank you. Now, Ken Kaufman, who I know very well and I love Ken Kaufman. Ken may think he's the smartest guy around. Do you agree or disagree that he's the smartest guy around?
1: Uh, Ken is very smart, and he's very, well, probably what's more important besides being smart is he's very thoughtful. He thinks through issues deeply and really investigates the root cause of things, uh, and that's one of the things that I've always really admired about Ken is he's not he's not just enamored with how smart he is, but he actually goes out and figures out why things are happening and how to change it.
0: That's a great compliment, actually. He's actually deep and depth beyond being extremely smart and confident in his talents. I'm a huge fan of his. His One of his children lives two hours away from me. We're a huge Ken Kaufman fan just by, by the by the by. So next question is, you were a master's in architecture, an undergraduate in architecture, how is that design thinking applied to your strategy and finance career? How do you sort of, how have those overlaid? Has that thinking, that discipline and thinking from what you did originally, yeah. has that been helpful to your sort of career in finance, strategy, healthcare?
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it absolutely has because, you know, as an architect, you're given a, a problem to solve in a physical form. And a lot of times people just say, okay, well, I need a house well, it's not really you need a house, it's you need a home. And what does that home need to have in it? And what's your, what's your requirement? So it allows you, it it gives you kind of that structure of trying to understand what the underlying requirements are. And then, you know, as a designer, the intent is to do something, a lot of times to do something new and innovative, something that other people haven't seen or try to improve upon what has already been done. So yeah, that's certainly been a, a benefit for me as a strategist uh, and as a consultant, as a, an administrator. It's not getting too locked into the what we've done in the past, but to actually spend time figure out what is the real problem we're trying to solve, and how do we do that with the assets that we have or the abilities that we have.
0: As you become, you know, over the course of your career. First, a healthcare person, then sort of a strategy and finance person and business person, an operations person. Besides many of the people that you've worked with, are there authors, speakers, anyone that's had particular influence on how you think about things and how you look at problems, how you look at strategy? Uh, you
1: know, it, it seems kind of odd, but some of the people that i I pull from really are not even in the healthcare arena. I, I'm a I, I'm a big car guy. I like cars. So I've gone back and looked at, you know, Ford Motor Company as they've had challenges. There's a number of authors who've written about it, um, about their turnarounds. I, I've kind of looked at what they were able to do uh, and try to apply that to, you know, healthcare. And there there's a lot of similarities. I mean, we're not building a car, but we are trying to help people advance their healthcare. So, you know, I, I'm sort of an asynchronous kind of person when it comes to, <laughs> to research and data and things like that. But uh, I look at everybody, can learn from anybody.
0: No, 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 and I, and, I, and I love that. So if you were to have lunch with one person, Lee Iacocca or Elon Musk, who's the person? Talk about two car guys.
1: I, honestly, it would probably be Elon Musk given his approach and the way that he thinks through problems. And I'm not saying he's always right with his answers, uh, but he's, he, he gets data and he makes a data driven decision. Lee Iacocca, great man, great auto executive. Um, but a lot of times it was with, with Lee, uh, having grown up in Detroit and actually, you know, around the Ford family, uh, Lee Iacocca was was a, uh, how do I want to put this? He he was a personality and an ego. Um, He
0: he was a cult figure more than necessarily a marketer or a maverick, more than he was a deeply, um, and and, and whatever happened, there's a documentary on him as well, but you and I, if you're a car business person, the most successful car business person for a period of time was the person who then became a fugitive, and I always pronounce his name wrong. Gosen, G H O S N. But what a fascinating career he had at Nissan, and then sort of things went south when he took over both manufacturers. But, I mean, but but what a fascinating career of sort of this mix of lean and marketing, and then sort of things all went south.
1: Yeah, well, and that's that's uh, it's kind of a. Uh, uh, an example of where, yeah, you can be extremely su- successful and have basically what, what people would think is the world at your fingertips, but you can get full of yourself and end up falling from grace really quickly uh, if you don't stay vigilant to principles and values and, and living those day in and day out. Another question.
0: Toyota Lean Manufacturing Lean principles, Six Sigma. So much has been written about that over the last 30 years, you know, including the Virginia Mason system and Dr. Kaplan really applying this very fully to healthcare and that's been quite successful. Obviously this concept of total just-in-time inventory, total just having enough capacity has proven to be a little bit, the, the truth of what we need is probably somewhere in between just-in-time and and sort of so minimalist, but lessons from Six Sigma from weed manufacturing and some of those thoughts and how well those apply to healthcare.
1: Yeah, I think there's definitely, so we at St. Francis actually have started a performance improvement group here. We've got a number of Six Sigma black belts. Uh, And what you can learn from that process is in fact, the process, how do you approach a problem what is it that you're trying to address, and get data and support your decisions through data. To me, that's one thing that healthcare it, it absolutely has to devote itself to, is being data-driven in its decision-making. There's been a lot of health systems that have been very successful with leaders who have made kind of seat-of-the-pants judgment calls, and done very well. And then you see a lot of them that have not. Uh, and, and as a consultant, you know, the first thing you always did was go in and look at the data. What's the market share? What's the volume? What's your length of stay? What's your price per, per day? You know, all those things come back and help you develop your strategy. So to me, as I look at our organization and people start talking about things that need to change said, so, okay, well, let's go back and look at how we're actually performing. And are we where we want to be or where we should be from a performance perspective? And if not, well, let's change some of those things first before we start you know, some down some of these roads where there's big capital dollars or huge operational changes. So to me, there's a high degree of value in there. Now, I, I also think you cannot be so deep into the process that it takes you months and months and months to get things done. Um, from the turnaround work you know uh, that I did, it was very much a you know if, if we've got three days cash on hand, we've got uh, payroll coming up. Yes, we can improve how we do payroll, but we still have to meet the payroll. So there's a balance between the two.
0: Thank you. Yes, you've grown accustomed to Oklahoma. When I've spent time in Tulsa, they almost viewed Oklahoma City as Michigan views Ohio State. Have you started to develop opinions? But since the time I've spent serious time in Tulsa, Mm -hmm. Oklahoma City has attracted the Oklahoma City Thunder. It's become a pro sports town, stuff like that. Tulsa always thought they were sort of like the, the elite of Oklahoma. Oklahoma, they always sort of looked down at Oklahoma City. Have you started to gain insight into that rivalry between Oklahoma City and Tulsa? And, and you don't have to share any thoughts because I'm sure they're going to be massively unpopular, whatever your thoughts are. Except they will be popular one group and not the other. But but is it fascinating to see the different cultures in OKC, Oklahoma City, and and in Tulsa?
1: Yeah, yeah. There's so you know when I worked for Kaufman Hall, we did a bunch of work for Integris, which is in Oklahoma City and has a couple of hospitals in our market. So I got to understand the Oklahoma City mentality. Uh, I really had not spent a lot of time in Tulsa before coming on with this role. Um, but honestly, as I sit down and I think through the populations, they're very similar. And the the people, if you if you sit down and talk to the people and talk to uh, the healthcare administrators at, at at any of these facilities, whether it's in Tulsa or, or Oklahoma City, I mean, we all want the same things. We're all working towards the same things. Now there is friendly and in, in some cases perhaps not so friendly competition between us um and i think that's you know honestly i, I think it's kind of helpful you know people kind of feel like we've got to advance ourselves and uh, you know perhaps outshine our our neighbors uh in some areas but um no i i I don't see it as much as I see it in some of the other parts of the country when I'd go around with consulting and uh, where there was real divide between uh, populations.
0: So so let me ask you that question, because we'll take you back to Ohio State, Michigan. When, When you ultimately come down to it, you know, there's an old adage, what does an Ohio State guy call a Michigan guy, you say to a Michigan guy on his porch? He says, thank you for the pizza delivery. It's one of these great you know, jokes about belittling the other. But in reality, are the Ohio State and Michigan fans really pretty similar to each other?
1: You know, we are. You, 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 get in, you get into the big house, and I've admittedly never seen a game at, 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 in Columbus. But you get into the big house, and even when Ohio State's playing there, yeah, there's a rivalry. And yeah, we, we want to beat them. Uh, and some people do take it too far. But I think the majority of folks understand it's a game. It's, it's friendly competition. And, you know, we bring the best out of each other. And that's one of the things that I kind of expect from healthcare competitors is, let's be friendly competitors and let's bring the best out of each other. You're going to do something, gosh, I can, maybe I can do it better. Uh, and uh, it affords us something to, to benchmark ourselves against and, and strive to to be better than.
0: No, fantastic. Jim, I've kept you much longer than the 10, 15 minutes that I promised, but I enjoyed speaking to you so much that I've done so. I apologize. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. What a remarkable career. And thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us today. What a
1: pleasure. It's been a pleasure talking with you, Scott. Take care.